0: Okay, hi, this is Jeremy, and I am joined by... This is Tony Puglis. And we are the hosts and producers of the Paranormal Search radio show and podcast. The third member of the team, the president of the group, Ross Weidler, has recently passed away. And uh, we want to dedicate this episode to him, and we wanted to have some things to say about Ross as
1: well. Yes, Ross... um Ross believed in uh, what he was doing. He put together uh, the group Paranormal Search of Pennsylvania in which we ran into many people who had done many podcasts, many radio shows, many celebrity paranormal investigators and um, and friends, some of which had also passed. Ross's visions um, for creating a show and doing investigations, let's just say that he started something. He, st- he started something within us planted the seed and we plan on branching out and doing as much as we can in the field of investigations in the field of research and of course uh podcasts and maybe in the future you'll you're you're going to see some new horizons Mm -hmm. we will miss uh ross greatly and um godspeed to you ross uh we miss you you're my you've been my best friend for five years um, although sometimes I wanted to punch you and there were other times I, I wanted to hug you, man. You're a great guy and uh, you've got a, You had a good heart. This is
0: the Paranormal Search radio show and podcast. <laughs> Discussing unexplainable events that shape our extraordinary world. Fire! Our guest tonight is Dr. Raymond Keller, a retired history professor, has lived and worked in 44 different countries, and has been writing about UFOs and the paranormal since 1967. He received his doctoral degree from West Virginia University in 2011 focusing on various aspects of the Basque settlement of Venezuela and his master's degree from the same institution in 2004, majoring in foreign language with an emphasis on magic realism in Latin American literature. He is the author of Venus Rising, and he has five books out. Ray, thank you so much for being on our show.
2: Oh, it's a pleasure. Always a pleasure to be with my uh, friends at Paranormal Search. Good to have you on, Ray. Thank you, Tony. Pleasure to be, be be on the program.
0: So, Ray, are you from Venus?
2: <laughs> well, I am. Uh, uh, I'm from uh, Bedford, Ohio, um, but I've been researching uh, uh, UFOs and particularly the extraterrestrial hypothesis since the since the uh, the, the mid 1960s when I published the Flying Saucer Report. Uh, between 1967 and 1972, and was a reporter also for the Bedford Times Register.
1: You, uh, um, you experienced a close encounter with a flying saucer in Ohio State Park when you were young.
2: Yes, that's right. Yeah. Uh, I was coming back from uh, a camp out uh, uh, with some friends, and we sighted a flying saucer, traditional disk shape. Uh, a saucer uh, hovering about a thousand feet above a railroad trestle in Walton Hills, Walton Hills, Ohio. Well, that's what got me started uh, in my my interest, and um, I became a member of the Cleveland Ufology Project, which is directed by a former member of the Untouchables, a sketch artist. Uh, His name was Earl J. Neff. Uh, and he, he worked with the original Elliot Ness and uh, the the Untouchables team when uh, uh, Elliot Ness was the uh, safety commissioner in Cleveland.
0: Ray, how old were you when you first had your sighting?
2: I was, uh, I was 15 years old at the time.
0: And when you and your friend published the Flying Saucer Report, that was around the same time, right? You were still a teenager?
2: Y- yes, yes, that's correct. And uh, we exchanged uh, publications uh, all around the world with Gene Duplantier in uh, uh, Willardale, Ontario. He published Saucer, Space, and Science uh, with the Queensland UFO Research in Australia, with uh, uh, Gray Barker's uh, Saucers and Unexplained Celestial Events Research Society in Clarksburg. And, uh, and 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 uh, of course, APRO, Aerial Phenomena Research Organization, to which I became uh, uh, became a, a member.
3: Well, how many years did
2: you guys publish
3: that magazine?
2: Uh, that was uh, five years. Five years that it was published, and then uh, I went into the into the Navy in
3: 1972. Oh boy, you've been in quite a few few services.
2: Oh, oh, yes, uh, I was in the Navy, uh, and then uh, I got out, I worked for uh, uh, the uh, Mountain Bell Telephone Company, uh, and then when my first child was coming along, um, I had gotten out uh, of the phone company, and uh, I went back in, uh, but I went in the Army because uh, the, the Navy uh, uh, wouldn't let me go in at the uh, at the same, uh, the same pay grade. I'd have to start over again, but the army put me in at the same, uh, at the same pay grade. And, uh, then I was, uh, a voice intercept operator in the Spanish language and, uh, traveled, um, all around, uh, Central America and South America.
3: So you speak French, Spanish
2: been a big help to me in in uFO research because uh, oh. of so many sightings um, come from our our neighbors to the south and of course mexico is the country with the largest amount of uFO sightings uh in, in the world and uh you know coral lorenz and coral and jim Lorenzen and uh, even published the first uh, uFO book about uh uh, UFOs, uh, in Latin America, uh, UFOs over the Americas, uh, it was called, and that's a, a classic. I highly recommend, uh, people to check out that book. Lots of, uh, occupant and humanoid sightings, uh, in, uh, in that book. And of course, all of, all of, uh, the books, uh, by Carl and Jim Lorenz and Flying Saucer Occupants and, uh, and, uh, and others, they're all classics.
0: Did you have any UFO sightings while you were in the military?
2: Uh, yes, yes, I had some um, uh, over Goleta Island. Goleta Island is, uh, is a communication site uh, off, the, off the coast of Panama in the what they call the San Blas Islands, the Native Americans that lived there, the San Blas Indians. And uh, it looked like a, a disc, like a fireball, uh, uh, like a spinning fireball, like, kind of like a pinwheel. And it was going over La Bahia, over the bay, uh, outside, uh, off the islands, and, and then uh, heading toward Cologne. And uh, I, uh, uh, I, I did file a report, but uh, they never got back to. Me
1: on it. Mm-hmm. So, w- at one point in your life, did you first uh, gain an interest in the planet Venus and decide to start writing books on that? What, uh, what was your motivation towards the, towards that?
2: Uh, one of the first uh, UFO books that I ha- had read was uh, uh, From Outer Space to You by Howard Menger. And uh, I had uh, traveled out to. Uh, 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 out to the East Coast, uh, to New York, for the uh, um, Flying Saucer Congress of Scientific Ufologists. And uh, I, so I was very interested in that. I met uh, Dominic Lucchesi and uh, uh, met some of the people associated with the Saucerian Press and everything. And uh, so I was very, very interested in that. And then I had also read... Um, all of George Dansky's books um, after I read uh, flying saucers have, uh, uh, have landed um, I read uh, his other two books uh, and, uh, and uh, I had actually written to uh, some of the uh, uh, astronomers that he mentioned in there that were talking about uh, life on Venus and different phenomena associated with Venus and so I began to wonder whether uh, whether or not uh, the the, uh, the government was telling the truth about uh, not only life on Venus, but also all the other planets uh, in our solar system. Because of course, Adamski uh, and Menger, they both said that uh, they believe that um, all these planets were inhabited either with indigenous life or life that was transported there from other uh from other solar systems that they had bases in our own solar system and even on the backside of the moon and uh, uh one of the people that I corresponded with and traded publications with was uh was a man named Gabriel Green and uh he was the president of amalgamated flying saucer clubs of America so uh uh, when I was living out in California, uh, you know, I moved out to California and was, uh, uh, very involved with, uh, with Gabriel Green and, and his group. And, uh, uh, he would interview all the contactees. And so I got to know many of them and, uh, and to, uh, investigate their, their stories as well. And, uh, so I, I put a lot of stock into the contact deeds and their uh, and and their claims. I would, I certainly see by the papers and the scientific journals and everything that a lot today that a lot of things that they said are being uh, vindicated.
1: You really have uh, three impressive books, which I love. Venus Rising, a concise history of the second planet. How how long did it take you to research and uh, that book? that book and how long did it take before you were able to publish it
2: uh it took a, it took a year uh to to write it and um the the reason that i wrote it was uh, i was uh in the uh, veterans hospital in uh, in uh, uh pittsburgh and i went there for a quadruple bypass surgery and uh when um uh, Uh, I was out, uh, you know, they actually took my heart out of my body to, to work on it. And I was, uh, you know, suspended with, uh, uh, you know, some kind of, um, you know, artificial lung and heart and everything to keep me going while, while they were doing the operation. But, uh whether I was in an etheric state or a dream state or what, I don't know. But uh, uh, I felt that um, I was in a uh, in a ring of light and being levitated above the earth. And uh, I was kind of dizzy because I, I couldn't see a floor and I couldn't see a ceiling. And I was just trying to hold on to this ring and uh i could see uh, the earth below me the the moon off in the, the distance and uh, uh you know all the twinkling stars and everything and and uh uh i encountered uh, a teenage version of myself and then every time that uh, that he talked and i looked at him he was wearing a different uh different kind of clothing from a different era in time, and then I understood that was my oversoul, and those were past incarnations. And he offered me the, uh, opportunity to either go with him, uh, to, to a higher level, like to Venus Etheria, or to, or to go, um, uh, back to Earth and, and, uh, finish writing the Venus Rise series of books. So that I chose to, to come back and do that.
1: Wow, that would explain how you became so spiritual. You're described as the doctor, uh, doctor of history, magic realism, mythology, and theology. And for the listeners out there, who don't know, uh, you're known by Co- as Cosmic Ray. Is that how you got that nickname?
2: Uh, I was called uh, Cosmic Ray in uh, uh, in high school, oh. and uh, and because I published the. Uh, the Flying Saucer Report. Oh, okay. So that
1: that's been that far back. I thought it was okay. I thought it was a lot later than that. Right,
2: and oh. well, and that, way, uh... so I, I was on all these radio programs and
1: uh, and
2: uh, 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 Alan Douglas show and Pete Franklin and all these shows and in Cleveland all these talk shows and uh, with Earl Nass. I went investigating with Earl to. Uh, Up to Michigan and uh, all over the tri-state area, uh, checking out UFO sightings. So, so people knew me, and at first they they were calling me uh, my favorite Martian because (laughs) because there was a TV show with Ray Walston and Bill Bixby. I used to love that Uh, show. Kind of like the it was the resident alien of its day.
1: Yeah, Um, I love that show too. I watch that every Wednesday
2: night. And then, uh, and then uh, because I wrote about all the other planets as well, and you know these different uh, UFO cases and and uh, saucer landings and things, so that they just said, "Oh, cosmic, cosmic ray."
3: <clears throat> ray, talk to your friend uh, Rob Potter. You we know, have very good conversation. He seems like a nice guy. He really likes you.
2: Oh yes, he's he's great. He's done a lot to uh, help me with. Uh, Um, these books and getting the message out and uh, uh, he sponsored my appearance at uh, uh, several UFO conventions or or UFO meetings we had 2018 from Venus with love up at Mount Shasta and so I was uh, the featured speaker along with uh, uh, Omnek Onek. she's an ambassador from uh, 5th Dimensional Uh, Venus, and then Louis Martens. He's a he's a contactee with Venusians from Bolivia. Yeah, we even did some some programs with him on uh, 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 Exo Politics um, uh, with the gentleman uh, uh, Lampremont Weber up in Canada, and uh, uh, we did it in Spanish. We also there was an artist from from uh, Mexico who did UFO uh, UFO artwork and like celestial paintings of uh, life on other planets. So we had a really great show. Well,
1: Ray, uh, getting back to your books, uh, you mentioned the Venus inhabitants. They live in dimension X. They have bodies of light and they're non-specific genders. They assume human form to interact with us. They are six-dimensional beings. Who lower their vibrations to four dimensions to live with us, and many of them are living on Earth right now. Uh, they were reincarnated as new beings, as opposed to what they were uh, at the planet Abhar, which uh, many people don't know is the ancient uh, name for Venus. Uh,
2: yes, yes. Uh, uh, there's uh, Venusians at multiple levels of uh, uh, vibrational levels or d- dimensional. Uh, levels, a- including our own third-dimensional or, or, or physical level, and those are beings that uh, that uh, exist primarily in uh, underground facilities on the on the planet. Um, and then there are uh, beings in uh, what I call Venus Etheria. Mm-hmm. And uh, I've been writing a series uh, of articles for Lon Strickler's Phantoms and Monster's website uh, recently called the Riley Crab Revelations. Uh, now Riley Crabb was one of the directors of Orderland Sciences Research Foundation, and uh, that was his specialty. He was writing about uh, interdimensional entities from this uh, uh, region of Etheria, or what, what I what I call Dimension X.
1: And uh, I know that the Venusians. Uh, when they first came to Earth, many of them uh, gifted us with uh, honeybees and uh, human hybrids and so forth, but are these hybrids actually, are they more ethereal or are they actually physical? Because based on your books, if I'm understanding this correctly, the Venusians, uh, some of them live on a physical plane. Uh, Others chose to live on an ethereal plane. Um, Which ones live underground?
2: uh the, these, are are on the, the these, these are on the physical plane and um these these Venusians are are, are very similar to us uh physiologically there's some uh, some variation in the uh, in the in the dna but uh, uh long ago our solar system was colonized by uh by beings from a planet in the Tau Ceti system um called Norca. And uh they, they traveled the distance of of space looking for a new home, uh, because their planet was drying up. It was a process of desertific- desertification. Everything was turning into a vast uh, desert and they, and uh, their sun was expanding it's becoming a red star and it was uh, they had to they had to go and find a new home and uh, so they they came they came here and uh, they were uh, pleased to uh, be able to settle on on Venus um, which at the at the time the indigenous uh, life-form, intelligent life-form, were these very large bees, and uh, it's a long story about the interaction between, uh, between the bees and the, uh, and the Venusians, but I explore that in all these uh, uh, Venus books, and then there's actual ties and proof of, of the bee-Venus connection uh, throughout ancient history, and then uh, I document all this as well, uh, from uh, the history of the Romans, uh, uh, Roman Empire, of uh, the Greeks, the Egyptians, uh, and uh, uh, esoteric societies, uh, also in Islam, the Sufis. Yes, and, I, uh,
1: you're, yes, you do, and you do it quite well. Um, oh,
2: thank, thank I fell
1: in love with the book from the very beginning, from the first couple pages, and it was very interesting. How you put everything together. And uh, it went as far back as the Romans, and even as far back as a, uh, I forget her name, I think it's Victoria or something. She was a, a Venusian who, uh, who battled uh, aliens here on Earth.
2: Oh, yes, yeah. yes. Uh, that was over the, over the Mediterranean basis, and it explores uh, uh, battles that took place on Earth uh, uh, over Asia as well. Um, in India, with the spacecraft called the Vimanas. Uh, we were invaded by beings uh from uh, uh Draconis star system from orion reptilians and uh these battles took place all uh all over the earth uh between these Nork and uh humanoid human looking uh, Venusian settlers coming to uh uh help defend the 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 earth and uh and it's, so they're all tied into these legends of ancient mythology as well.
0: Ray, did the Venusians influence the architectural design of our megaliths that are still here?
2: Oh oh yes, um, and uh, there are a lot of clues. Uh, there are a lot of clues uh, in megalithic structures and so forth. I just uh, recently helped um, uh, uh Louis um uh Fernando Mostajo Marquez in Bolivia uh he wrote a book called The Dragon uh The Dragon Lines and it's all about uh, crop circles and megalithic structures and their connection to uh their connection to the Venusians and uh and other uh higher dimensional beings that that we perceive to be uh angelic Almost angelic in nature, and uh, so that uh, uh, that book will explore a lot of uh, a lot of these things, and that's coming. that That'll be coming out in the in the next few months.
1: Now you said all these um, some of the the rulers in Venus like uh, Omnic Omnic, uh, Dolores Barrios, um, and there's one more I can't think of. She wears the red beret, the, the brunette uh... ruby something? I
2: can't remember her name. Oh, uh,
1: uh, or a rain. That's it, or a rain. All of them had different bodies or different forms in Venus Oh, oh yes.
2: On Earth.
1: Uh, yes,
2: yes, and uh, e- either that or they have emissaries on Earth uh, who can uh, uh, uh who, who can ch- uh, serve as an instrument or uh, if you will, if you will, a channel for, um, uh, for them.
1: When you had your experience, when you were met your former selves, uh, were you then maybe become part of the Abaharians?
2: Or, oh, yeah. Uh, or Venusians, as
1: they're now called?
2: Oh, yes. Uh, uh y- yes. And, uh, I was able to, uh, uh, understand uh, various incarnations of of uh coming from the planet uh, the the planet Abahar or 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 Venus on on a mission uh, on the earth through various incarnations and then uh, on the page two beginning on page 252 of Venus rising, I write about uh, how others can explore their own starseed connection. Yes. And uh, uh so it goes through various uh, various uh, um, characteristics, physical characteristics, uh moods, um, ideas that you may hold and beliefs that you may hold and, and different uh connections that you could draw to identify your own uh, your own celestial
1: home yeah can you explain more about that I was going to be my next question the star seed activation uh, says the Venusian transmitter is always turned on and beamed towards earth many of those defined here on earth called star seeds are constantly being awakened to new metaphysical reality uh, it sounds like you may have been one of them but is that happening now at this very time oh, or is that going to be in the near future
2: oh no it's happening um, it's happening now okay. and um uh, rather than a mass ascension, what you see is that as many people become, uh, uh, awakened to their, uh, to their true celestial, uh, nature, uh, many of them are just bodily lifting, lifted off the earth and, uh, and you, you just don't see them at us after a certain point. So, uh, in in my Venus books, you explore the physical, emotional, uh, extraterrestrial experiences, uh, out of body experiences, uh, metaphysical connections and experiences, and uh, as well as uh, as psychic development. And I found that most people who are into paranormal phenomena and, and research. Yeah. Uh, uh, if they, they manifest uh, these characteristics that I go into great detail in uh, that they definitely have a starseed um, uh, connection and it will help them to understand the experiences that they're, they're going through and where, where they are from and they'll better know where they are going.
1: Well, I know you have a paper that uh, it's a, it asks you about your political background. Your emotional characteristics and so forth uh, to see if you may have a starseed connection. connection. Um, so, a green paper that you gave me a long time ago with this first book, Venus Rising: uh, History, concise history of the second planet. It's like a questionnaire oh,
2: uh, to determine yeah. your
1: percentage of Venusian extraterrestrial connectivity.
2: Oh yes, and I uh, uh, I sit down with uh, with individuals. Uh, and just uh, help them go over that and explore those different um, those different uh, avenues. When you talked about,
1: uh, he was asking, uh, Jeremy was asking about all that, our architecture having to do maybe with the Venusians, they're finding architecture like that on Mars, from what I understand now. It's being kept from us, but oh, they found okay. like bits and pieces, like some kind of cataclysm happened up there. And there's bits and pieces of what there looks to be statues and pieces of buildings that exist here on Earth, like from the Roman and uh, cultures, the Corinthian cultures, and other such cultures. Uh, um, is it possible? What's the connection between Mars and Venus? Are are they pretty much the same beings, or are they just separate from one another?
2: Uh, they they have a they do have a common uh, ancestry, and there's all there's also a great infusion of. Uh, of other extraterrestrials throughout uh, the the history of the of the earth mars uh, and also the saturnian system with all its moons uh, the largest being titan and so forth of uh, of uh, uh, extrasolar beings coming into uh, into our solar system on the rim we're on the rim of the galaxy of course and so it's kind of like the, the wild west out here, and there's been lots of extraterrestrials uh, that that have come and gone. And what, what we're talking about mm-hmm. on Mars with these um, um these uh, these ruins and these artifacts and and deserted cities that uh, the, the and don't the forget, and don't forget rivers. Yeah. Rivers oh, yeah. There's waterways up there that they're hiding from us. Right on the surface, no. and, the, and and even water on the moon. Which has recently uh, been uh, uh, been leaked out uh, by NASA. We know now that there's the moon, that uh, on the moon, at the south pole of the moon, there's a lake um, that's the size of uh, uh, the size of Puerto Rico. We know that there's water on the moon. Uh, we know that there's uh, uh, all kind of structures and domes. That have been photographed by ourselves and the uh, the Ranger probes and the Russian Luna probes and domes and uh, and towers and so forth on the far side of the Moon. Well, all of this is a uh, is a vindication of uh, especially like the devastation that we see on uh, on Mars uh, when uh, when George Adamski was on his uh, in 1959, he went on a world tour and he was in Australia and he was talking to, um, Martin Gottschall of UFO Research Queensland, who was a physicist. Um, uh, he's an astrophysicist and everything and, uh, was talking about, uh, uh, about cities on Mars, uh, that are still on the surface before they went under, uh, before they went underground, but, uh, there was a in the Bible when it talked about the, the the great war in the heavens and how that impacted on the earth and all the all this civilizations on earth have um, have uh, accounts of these wars between uh you know the the so called gods in the in the heavens and these were extraterrestrials uh battling over who would control our solar system? So oh, we had okay. the, fo- the forces of the Federation of planets, which is 601 uh, uh, planets or worlds uh, from uh, 51 star systems, so, and then there, and then you had uh, uh, you had uh, you had beings uh, largely from uh, uh, from Orion and some others. Uh, star sectors that were allied trying to, to come and take over our solar system.
1: Okay, so this devastation was not caused by the fault of Mars? Uh,
2: no, no. Uh, and there was a world uh, that, uh, that was destroyed uh, in our own solar system that existed between the orbits of uh, Mars and Jupiter and uh, uh, some of the remnant is there today in the asteroid belt, but this was a, this was a very Earth-like paradisiacal planet called uh, Maldek, and they reached a very high level of civilization, uh, and uh, there was an extraterrestrial influence that divided the world into two camps, and uh, uh, they, they had a battle. And destroyed their their world with um, you know weapons of mass destruction. And uh, and so some of the survivors uh, had end had ended up in uh, uh, colonies here on on Earth, Atlantis, Lemuria, and everything. And they carried their they carried their feud uh, uh, here to uh, to our planet.
1: Yeah, I have stuff about the Lemurians and the wars and. Uh... I always saw the planet Saturn as a dead planet. The ice rings, or whatever they are, around the planet—is that possible? That's debris from uh, devastation that was caused on that planet, and not really ice oh. rings at all. No, uh,
2: uh, they're—they're actually—they're uh, actually ice, uh, or largely ice crystals, and uh, but they were from uh, uh, a planet uh, uh, that. Uh, that was crushed uh, uh, and small into small particles and everything. Uh, it was a it was a moon that uh, uh, that, uh, that that didn't make it. What about it just,
1: the uh, Atlanteans oh, here on Earth? They were associated with the Lemurians uh, and the Venusians. Were they also part of this devastating intergalactic war that went on in our solar system and other solar systems?
2: Oh, oh yes. There, there had been rogue elements from, uh, from from Venus and other planets that had come down on Earth and had uh, had intervened. Uh, also, survivors from from Maldek and these other um, uh, other worlds that made themselves uh, the the god kings and the priests and so forth. Uh, in the ruling class that infiltrated the ruling class of uh, Atlantis and, um, uh, and Lemuria. And, uh, then, uh, to keep that from, from happening again and to restore the sovereignty of, uh, of earth, uh, of earth, of earth to develop their own civilization. Um, the, the confederation of planets, uh, intervened and, and took these people off, uh, off the earth, rounded them up, and uh, re- removed them from uh, from the earth. Uh, those that weren't destroyed uh, in uh, uh, the destruction of Atlantis and Lemuria, some, uh, the, the final vestiges of it were destroyed about 12,000 B.C.
1: Wow. Well, thanks for the uh, questions. I'm sorry I'm asking so many questions, guys.
2: Oh, I have, oh, no, I read no, all no three of these
1: books. And I've always wanted to talk to you about this.
2: well this is this is very this is very good because uh, you know what what I'm basing um, a lot of this on, as well as you could confirm it is uh, uh, the works of Helena Blavatsky and uh, Alice K. Bailey. Uh, one of the first uh, one of the first books that uh, Helena uh, uh, Petrovna Blavatsky wrote. Uh, back in 1885, was history of a planet, which was all about the secret history of, of Venus.
1: Yeah, I understand she mentioned Venus. Uh, she was born in 1831 and died in
2: 1891, correct? Right, that's right. Okay. She was the co-founder of the Theosophical Society, and uh, the, uh, as well as her history of a planet, Isis Unveiled, and many many other books. Uh, there's esoteric knowledge that have been lost for, for from humankind for countless ages she went up into um, she went up into the to India twice and on her second trip to India she made it into the Himalayas uh, where she met with uh, ascended masters and had a translation of the book of Dizan and and uh, all kinds of information. Then Ellis K. Bailey wrote a book called The Cosmic Fire, and uh, it mentions everything about Venus on a- almost every other uh, other page. And it's uh, just a tremendous source of uh, of lost uh, lost knowledge and esoteric information. But with with uh, Helena Blavatsky's book. Um, on uh, a history of a planet, I thought that uh, although it was uh, uh, 135 years later, that uh, that uh, a comprehensive book about the history of Venus needed to be uh, be written, an updated version of Helena Blavatsky's work. So that's how Venus Rising came to be.
1: I read some of hers, but they're not as interesting as. In fact, uh, I've been told, me and Ross, we argue about life on Venus all the time. Ross wrote a report about how hot Venus is, and it's impossible for any life to be on Venus, et cetera, et cetera. I don't know if I agree with that completely, and then your books kind of brought me, that's how we were always taught in high school, to believe. There's no life on Venus, there's no life on Mars, life on the moon, there's nothing going on, but see, books like yours and, and hers and and other such writers yours in particular it's really impressed me um and uh they actually made me think about maybe it's quite possible that our past and our ancestry might be tied to the Ab- abaharians and uh, and the other civilizations and who's to say maybe that cloud cover over venus is a way to keep enemies out and it's just a, a ruse
2: oh yes i'm uh, glad that you brought that up because uh uh, in my, in my most recent book, uh, The Vast Venus Conspiracy, I really go into detail about, um, the, the true scientific findings that I've amassed from, from, uh, from personal interviews with scientists researching the planet Venus, even from the Jet Propulsion Laboratory and from the Russian space program, and, uh, it's all documented there about the uh the bifurcation of gases in the Venusian atmosphere the true temperature at uh, uh 84 to 125 degrees f- Fahrenheit um the uh the atmospheric uh the true the true atmospheric pressure uh the heat the so-called heat was measured from the uh electrical heat uh, in the ionosphere and not on the surface and um, and people could see for themselves uh, the, the true story about what's going on uh, in outer space uh, what's going on on the moon what's going on on, uh, on Mars and uh, and uh, NASA's uh, uh, hiding of, of this information it's 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 out there, and and you could find it if you diligently look look for it, and I, of course I've saved people a lot of time if they buy my Venus books and then they could read it for themselves. Yes, I,
1: I would encourage everybody out there, every listener, to buy the Venus books for, from Dr. Raymond Andrew Keller II, who we affectionately call Cosmic Ray. That's what we know him as. Yeah, I would encourage that too, and. Uh, me and Ross have debates all the time about um, Planetary life around our solar system and everything, but uh, And he's saying well, why why is NASA hiding all of this? That's the argument. Why is NASA hiding? If there is structures on Mars the moon if there is life on Venus and there were uh, There were contacts with Venusians on earth like Valiant Thor and other such individuals Omnic Omnic uh, Dolores Barrios. He wants to know uh, and and I want to know too why would they hide this? What's your opinion, Ray, They're they're hiding all this information from us? Why not just come out and say, hey guys, there's life on Mars, there's water on the moon, etc., cetera, etc.? Cetera?
2: Well, they're they're waiting for our spiritual maturity to catch up with our technology. Because right now it's like uh, we're, we're, we are children playing with matches in a dynamite shack. Uh, yeah, so I thought, we're, so not, we're not
1: capable of understanding this yet we panic right or we, we have things.
2: this exactly tony we have this uh, this aggression mm. that uh, we're going to bring uh w- with us into outer space and uh, and probably uh, uh, initially they're going to remain cloaked and they'll hide themselves as much as uh as possible but there'll be a a, a time coming when they may be forced to uh uh, to, to to more uh, reveal themselves, but uh, but but right now uh, right now isn't it? Uh, they do they do have operatives on Earth and they are working behind behind the scenes to uh, protect their interests as well as to help us along. They're in contact with certain scientists and and individuals in. in uh, various capacities that are promoting uh, peace, understanding, and cooperation here on the earth.
0: I sure hope so. Are there teachings in theosophy that prepare you for meetings with other beings?
2: That's interesting that you asked that question because uh, I've noticed that, uh, that, uh, 90% of the, of the, the contactees, uh, have either studied theosophy or are members of a theosophical society and this this is uh, this is very good because the philosophy of the theosophical society their three objects correspond quite neatly with the uh, with the objectives of of extraterrestrials and that is the number one to promote uh, the brotherhood and sisterhood of of, of humankind uh, with, with all beings uh, throughout the universe and and of course theosophy teaches that intelligence fills the immensity of space uh, even the the Egyptians they they uh, they recognized that, that that even rays of light from the Sun uh, were uh, uh, were sources of uh, uh, illumination and some kind of uh, some kind of beings uh, imparting knowledge on an etheric level. You see those paintings in the uh, or the cartouches in the in the pyramids, where they show uh, living uh, rays of light and uh, uh, like tongues of fire coming down from uh, and coming down from the sun, providing a, a literal illumination of knowledge. Beside light, beside being a source of light, so that's uh, that's one thing, and that we're not alone. And then uh, the second object of theosophy is to recognize that uh, that uh, that uh, uh, knowledge isn't limited to one to one area. That uh, you know, like Eric von for example. Uh, he looks at history, mythology, uh, comparative re- uh, religions, chemistry, uh, everything, everything is in the mix. So wh- when we, when we look at uh, the acquisition of knowledge through, through just one area uh, of research, it's like putting blinders on. So we don't really get the full, uh, the full picture. We ought- have to take in all avenues. Of, of research and find the connections, find the linkages, and, uh, and that's very important. And then the third, the third uh, object of theosophy is to develop the powers that are latent with within us. And uh, we know that our brothers and sisters of other planets have developed powers and, and abilities um, that that are far beyond those that we have. With our five senses, uh, here on earth. But we, we see some glimpses of that. You know, some people have, uh, extrasensory perception. Some have telekinesis. Some have the ability to bi-locate. Um, some have, uh, 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 you know, gifts of prophecy and, uh, and, and so forth. And, and so we could develop these powers that are, that are within us uh, even like uh, some of the the yogis in India that where they could levitate and everything and we could actually do do this. We could move the vibrations vibrational structure of our own atoms to to higher to higher frequencies and move into, uh, into higher dimensional realms because we are, as uh, somebody said, um, one philosopher said that we're um, that we're uh, we're just uh, uh, spiritual beings um, exploring uh, the a physical universe. And so so we're here. We have these bodies. Uh, we have these physical bodies, but that's just a vehicle. That's just a spe- that's just a spacesuit. Uh, for us to operate in this uh, in this terrestrial environment, but we're really celestial beings. We're just we're just here visitors. We're just passing through.
0: And do you think that early civilizations were much more compatible with um, maybe using the third eye in a sense, um, having a connection to the powers and vibrations of the earth?
2: Oh oh yes um, yes some some have developed uh, have developed vast uh, powers of uh, of intellect and and uh, other powers where they could channel um, cosmic forces. Uh, the the problem with uh, with uh, with this at our at our current level of development here um, here on the earth is that uh, like if we take any mm-hmm. po- any kind of power or force like atomic let's take atomic energy uh we, we, you know we could use the power of the atom um to to power every every vehicle every city uh on earth and to create a paradise a literal paradise here uh, here, here on the earth with a, well with a boundless source of uh of of energy and power uh for a planetary grid um uh, or, or we could use that same power to put it on the uh, on the tips of uh, uh, of nuclear missiles and destroy, you know, level entire cities, maybe even continents. So uh, it's uh, it's the uh, the intentions of the human heart uh, of the individual that's wielding the power, because power is a neutral thing. And, and it's just how it's directed that worries the uh that that worries the Venusians back in um, back in the in the uh late 1950s and the early 1960s uh, there was a project uh there was a secret project uh, uh, called project 119 uh in the United States and then uh it, there was a uh, uh an equivalent project in Russia, it was to detonate uh atomic weapons on the moon. And um, uh all the documentation for that is in uh, my second book, um the final countdown rockets to Venus. Uh and uh, uh, the Venusians had to take take active measures to, uh just to, to stop those because uh, nobody checked uh, no nobody was checking to see uh, if uh, if the moon was inhabited if there were uh, if there were structures and 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 uh, inhabitants on them on the moon where they wanted to detonate these devices and a professor from University uh, of California at San Diego um uh, uh, made a plea to the uh, United Nations that we not send any uh, uh nuclear atomic weapons into space that we not militarize outer space and uh, that began a movement that that uh, in 1966 the United Nations passed um, a resolution uh uh, demilitarizing uh, outer space. Although I don't know how how uh, how securely some some of the nations have followed that protocol, but uh, but that that was uh, that was done, and that was one of the objectives of uh, Valiant Thor's visit to uh, uh, to President Eisenhower in the, night, in the late 1950s.
3: Um, I did some research on Venus. They say Venus is a hot, hellish, and volcanic planet.
2: Correct. Uh, the, just like on the Earth, there are parts of uh, uh, parts of Venus that uh, that uh, uh, are volcanic. Yes.
3: And the temperature goes to eight hundred sixty-seven Fahrenheit.
2: Okay, the temperature that there. That they were measuring, beginning with the Mariner 2 probe, uh, was electrical heat uh, generated in the ionosphere. Okay,
1: so it's not actually on the surface of the planet. No,
2: it's not on the. It's not on. It's okay. not on the surface. We have to remember that uh, that uh, with the with the very earliest space probe uh, to to reach Venus, the Mariner 2, there was. Uh, uh, there was a radiometer that was on board uh, the, the Mariner that was put there by, uh, by uh, Carl Sagan. And uh, it, it only measured uh, three points along the limb of the Venusian atmosphere. So it was capturing, uh, it was c- capturing measurements of electrical heat. Now they've pointed s- similar instrumentation uh, at the Earth and they, they measured uh, uh, temperatures uh, up to 3,000 degrees uh, in in our atmosphere as well of electrical uh, electrical heat. In fact, one of the one of the early satellites in the 1950s, um, I think it was uh, what it the. It may have been. It may have been, uh, um, may have been uh, yeah in the in the late 1950s. Uh, Reported back that uh, that life couldn't uh, life as we know it couldn't exist on the Earth, and then let's take let's look at that also. Let's take a look at life as we know it, so-called. Now, here on the Earth, there are beings or th- there are creatures that live at the bottom of the Mariana Trench uh, in this in the South Pacific Ocean, and uh, there are volcanic vents. Down there, uh, with temperatures of 935 degrees of f- Fahrenheit and uh, equivalent atmospheric pressure of a thousand atmospheres, and uh, or I mean a hundred a hundred atmospheres, and uh, and yet there's life that thrives down there. So what so, you're
1: saying oh, is that life goes on no matter what, whether it's freezing oh, cold. In the Antarctica, or whether it's down the bottom of the ocean, because I agree with that,
2: right? And yeah. and so we're we're talking about uh, we're talking about uh, life that evolved under similar conditions uh, as uh, on the Earth that's existing on uh, on Venus, and with um, with a three million year jump uh, jump start in their cosmic evolution. Even if even if the conditions have deteriorated uh, sub- substantially, uh, there's no reason why they they couldn't adapt. I mean, we have the technology today that we could that we could put people and habitats on the moon or Mars or other uh, or or other planets. So what's to preclude advanced civilizations, uh, extraterrestrial civilizations, from doing the from doing the same. That's why I always call NASA, N-A-S-A, never a straight answer. Yeah, because you know, they're, they're never gonna come out and tell us yeah. that there are advanced beings uh, on other planets. And the, and, the, and all of the planets of our solar system uh, and beyond. The immensity of space is filled with different beings. And my, the, my most recent book is uh, uh, Lady Columba Venus, uh, revelations uh, there are uh, drawings and diagrams there that were made by uh, by Annabelle Krabs, Lady Columba contactee secretary to Truman Bethlehem in the, in the late 1950s and early 1960s and uh, these have uh, drawings in there and sketches of meetings of the confederation of planets with all these different beings uh, not only human humans and humanoids that look look very much uh, like us, but also uh, these various hybrid beings. And even, uh, there's even a picture in there, in my book uh, by Annabelle Krebs, uh, at the council meeting of a blue avian.
1: Oh yeah, I think there was a, Rob Potter showed us a painting of a blue avian with some bee creatures and some Venusians. So, right right on that video that was, I saw you on the other day
2: yes, that's the one that that was uh, done by that was done by Columba Krabs, and she was a she was also a great artist and a social activist as well yeah. she okay. spent a lot of time uh she'd spent a lot of time in india and um and she traveled all over uh all over the world in search of uh esoteric knowledge and she her adventures uh, that she had on the, the far side of the moon at saucer bases under the ocean uh, and inside the earth, in vast caverns inside the earth. and uh, Okay, because Ross, had, uh, not, not to
1: cut you short, but Ross wanted to debate all this, you know, what, there's heat on Venus, so there couldn't possibly be any life there. There's pressure on Venus. Uh, pressure, what did you say it was, Ross? You have it written down there.
3: Uh, um, a moment. Venus has 90 times the atmospheric pressure than on Earth. So that well, doesn't really mean anything, right? There's
2: pressure That down there. Right, and yeah. so we find that, you know, equivalent pressure is right here uh, right here on Earth. But uh, let's take uh, the Venera 4 probe that went there from uh, Soyuz-Sovetskiy-Sociolich's Respublik when the Russians sent. Uh, there. Uh, the Venera 4 showed that, uh, that uh, uh, the overall atmospheric pressure on, on Venus as measured by their probe was, uh, was only eight, uh, eight times that, that of the Earth. They discovered water vapor in the Venusian uh, atmosphere and uh, toward the regions around uh, the, the North Polar regions they discovered uh, vegetation. This is uh, documented in Soviet science journals and a, and a median temperature of 84 degrees Fahrenheit, kind of like California.
1: Okay, so, uh, and just not to get off the, the, the subject, but I just we need a, a yes and no answer on this. I wasn't clear on this, but whenever a probe was sent to Venus, have they ever actually made it through that cloud cover to get to the surface to look at anything?
2: Yeah, Russia did. Russia did. Oh, yes, uh, and I have all the photographs uh, from the Russians in uh, the vast Venus conspiracy, and uh, uh, there's one one particular region uh, that looks. Uh, it has a, a a wide variety of different rock for, formations, and it looks like some kind of moss or vegetation is is growing in there, and in the distance, it even looks like there's some kind of a lake. And I, I, I own land in New Mexico, in okay. Dato, New Mexico, and it looks very similar to to that. It's, it's this land that I have is up in Horse Mountain, and it's uh, it's uh, you know nearest. It's in the western part of New Mexico, northwestern part, off of Route 60, and it overlooks a very large array. But it's uh, it, it looks like land out there in New Mexico.
1: Okay, so it don't look any different than the land in Earth or on Mars. Like we've been, oh, oh, right, as far as yeah, it, being shown it, it, anyway.
2: Right, that's Rocks right. Rocks and so, sand yeah. and red skies, which is BS. And, and the yeah. thing about it is, is if if it, if it was uh, if it was uh, ninety three atmospheres, and and that it, it would be it would be so dark that you wouldn't be able to see anything. And, uh, and the pressure would be so great that it would distort everything, but it looks like a calm, su- sunny day out in the New Mexico yeah, desert. We're,
1: we're, I'm sorry to cut you off, Ray. We're kind of running out of time here. But Ross had a couple of things he wanted to read to you about uh, the toxic atmosphere on, on Venus <coughs> that makes it impossible.
3: What well, I wanted it. to read here, yeah. um, they talk about the temperatures of hundreds of degrees and it's clocked by a cloud. That contains droplets of corrosive sor- sulfuric it. acid. Sulfuric acid. A few have focused on the rocky planet as uh, a habitable for something to live.
2: Okay, well, what do you think because, of that one? Uh, because of the uh, biomagnetic qualities of the uh, the gases in the Venusian uh, atmosphere, we different components at different layers and of course uh, there's a higher content of, of, of sulfur uh, uh, in certain areas of Venus because uh, especially where we're dealing with a, a volcanic plateau. Much the same thing of if we set the probe down to uh, say um, Krakatoa or uh, uh, to any of the volcanoes in the Siberian uh, on the Kamchatka Peninsula in the, uh, in, in Russia. <clears throat> uh, so, you know, there are different environments on Venus, but uh, but recent discoveries by the British uh, Astronomical Society of uh, phosphenes in the Venusian atmosphere uh, indicate the presence of, of a complex ecosystem, uh, that there are organisms that produce It can only produce phosphenes uh, in the quantities that have been discovered there. Also, a recent discovery on Venus shows that uh, that, uh, there's uh, uh, intense lights that are moving uh, across the dark side, uh, the side that's facing away uh, from the sun. It's supposed to be dark, and there's these... uh, Intense lights that are moving and flickering, uh, in, in the atmosphere. And I wrote about in, uh, in my, all my Venus books about these huge swarms of, uh, of bees and other, uh, biofluorescent insects in the, uh, that swarm and multiply in the Venusian atmosphere. So here's another vindication of, uh, of, of the information that's, uh, that's
1: in my Venus books. So, Ross, what do you think? You had, uh, okay, are you convinced so, yet, Ross? Are you convinced that there might be life on Venus? Because some of those conditions on Venus are very know. common here on Earth as well.
3: I have so much I want to read to him about Venus. I, I don't know. I don't know.
1: Well, he seems to have the answers. <laughs> and <he's, laughs> he, Okay, I agree with you, Ray, because I think that there's a lot of... We have a lot of terrain on this planet that can be treacherous. I mean, no matter where that probe might have gone somewhere, it's like a probe that was probing Earth. And maybe that probe might end up on Antarctica. It doesn't mean that the entire planet is made up of ice. So, Ray, where can our listeners
0: find
2: you online? Okay. Um, the best uh, the best way to uh, to uh, find me is uh, uh, just um check with... Uh, Amazon just type in Keller Venus in Amazon and uh, they'll list all my books and uh, and then uh, of course uh, once Paranormal Search gets to uh, having meetings again uh, after this cancel culture is over uh, I'm always a frequent attendee at the, the meeting there at the lower Paxton Hall in Harrisburg and um and then, uh, if you read Lon Strickler's Phantoms and uh, I usually have an article there every week, and uh, it contains my uh, email address, R.Keller1 at mixwvu.edu, and I'll be very happy to answer any any email so that's a r keller and then just the number one at m-i-x dot edu well
1: ray it's been great having you. we got we really got it
2: yeah
1: um like
3: here. i say i'll get, get back, back to you on the meetings
1: yeah we'll talk to you about this again sometime thank you very much for being on the show yeah yeah
2: Ray, you're awesome thank yeah you you're so
1: awesome man i love you
2: just be oh, careful thanks. out there will you Ray? Thank you, my friends. Cosmic blessings to you and all and, and all listeners uh, in the program.
0: Thank you for joining us this episode. If you would like to attend our monthly meetings, you may do so by visiting the Lower Paxton Municipal Building in Harrisburg, Pennsylvania. We meet the second Wednesday of every month between the hours of 7 and 9 p.m please visit our Facebook page, that is Paranormal Search of Pennsylvania. There you will find links to our YouTube channel and website.